Hi, it's Lee. Just a quick note before the episode. Today is August 5, 2020. It's an important date in my mind because it marks almost exactly one year since I quit a digital marketing job I didn't like to pursue something that gave me more purpose. It was a scary decision. I also wasn't exactly sure what my new career path would look like. I'm still not really sure, but I'm glad I made the decision that I did. This series has helped me discover meaningful work in interesting places and has ignited my passion for being passionate about the work we do. It gave me an excuse to call up strangers and pick their brains for hours on end about their career choices. It's also helped me gain some invaluable skills in reporting, interviewing, and audio production. But the time has come for me to hang up the boots on this series, at least for the immediate future, to focus on all the things that I've discovered I want to work towards. So for now, thanks for following along my journey and enjoy the episode. I'm sitting quietly inside a trendy loft in Northcote, the heart of Melbourne's alternative culture. I'm told this place used to be a mechanics workshop. There are eight folks gathered around some tables. Some smooth jazz is playing in the background. Uh, Each workspace has a neatly placed surgical tray with some tools and chemicals. It's pre-COVID, by the way. Everyone's chatty and raring to go for the second day of this intensive two-day workshop. They'll be learning taxidermy for beginners. In this particular workshop, they'll be learning how to skin, flesh, and preserve a rabbit, and then how to mount it on a plaque. We're going to work on our skulls. So you remember yesterday... We've taken off most of the tissue from our skulls. We've had them in borax overnight. So That's Natalie uh, taking the class. She's the owner of Rest in Pieces, which she founded six years ago to teach taxidermy. But now it's expanded into an umbrella of other classes and services that all relate to what she calls the dying arts. Natalie's journey has taken her overseas to dig up fossils and connected her to a vibrant community in Australia and around the world. But it's also left her feeling burnt out, under financial strain, and she's even been on the receiving end of some disturbing death threats. Despite this, Natalie says she's never been more fulfilled in her work life. So I wanted to find out what about the dying arts makes Natalie feel so alive inside. This is Do Quit Your Day Job. I'm on a mission to find meaningful work in interesting places. I don't think it's too much to ask for a job that you enjoy most of the time. That's why I'm speaking to Australians who have found careers they are truly passionate about. This is episode four. When I first met Natalie, she was getting ready to host the workshop. If I'm being honest, she looked nothing like what I thought a taxidermist would look like. Her hair was in a neat bun, she was rocking large hoop earrings and wore red ruby lipstick. Natalie says she discovered taxidermy after moving to Melbourne about 10 years ago. Like many things in life, the discovery happened by chance, and after over a decade in an office job lacking creativity, 
she was led down a rabbit hole and into an exclusive world of this centuries-old craft. I moved down from Brisbane with a really boring corporate job. I was in insurance and finance and I was trying to find a creative outlet and I initially moved over to the south side of Melbourne and there were a few really interesting shops like Tarlow and Graham and Chapel Street Bazaar and they happened to sell natural history curiosities, whether that's a shoulder mount or an animal hide or, you know, a preserved lizard in a jar. And it's the first time I'd kind of seen that work being done at all. And I thought it was beautiful and it wasn't until I brought it home and watched the reactions of other people as they saw those items, some good, mainly bad reactions, I would say. And I think that that was the catalyst for me perhaps wanting to get interested in the field and look into it. And upon looking into whether I could learn taxidermy in Australia, I found out that you hadn't actually been able to learn it officially since the 1970s. And I think that that's the component that intrigued me the most. Any university or TAFE will tell you the same story. Either they haven't offered taxidermy courses in decades or they never taught it to begin with. The demand for preserving specimens declined with the advance of technology, especially when colour photography and leisure travel became a thing. It meant that scientists and others could begin to see more lifelike 3D representations of animals that they may not have otherwise encountered. But Natalie had an urge to learn, so she set out to find someone to teach her. Well, initially I ended up stalking a mentor in Victoria and sent him a few hundred emails and figured he'd either arrest me or take me on, one or the two. I was comfortable with both. Fortunately, he did take me on and I ended up working every weekend for three years for free to learn some of the basic skill set. And it wasn't until I took long service leave from my corporate job that I was fortunate enough to help build a museum on the history of hunting in a small village called Los Yebenes in Spain. And that was a really interesting experience because the person who was teaching me over there, his name's Ramon, and he didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of Spanish. But it was a beautiful experience because If you really want to teach someone a skill, you can do it whether or not you can speak the same language. And I think it was him that really taught me the value of education and sharing information. Um, And I can appreciate why previously people in Australia who had developed the skill set didn't want to share because it can cut into your income, your livelihood. You know, if there's such a small community or such a small market for it in Australia, I understand why people weren't as open to educating other people. But because of my experience with Vermont, um, I guess that was the reason I wanted to come back to Australia and see if there was anyone else that was interested in how I could pass on those skills. Classes started off as basic tutorials for mice, but slowly, as Natalie's skill set grew and her business expanded, she began to increase her offering. She started running workshops with other animals like chickens, squirrels, and rabbits. Uh, That's the class I sat in on. She's also created a DIY mouse taxidermy kit, 
It's 110 steps. And she's moved on to teaching other preservation techniques, which include big words like skeletal Skeletal articulation. articulation. Which is essentially the opposite of taxidermy where you're arranging the skin. This is where you completely remove the skin and you want to reduce your specimen down to bones. And you need to clean those bones, degrease them, widen them, and then you need to articulate them, so put them back together into an anatomical pose. And then one of the more recent things that we've added to our suite of workshops, which is really fascinating to me, is corrosion casting. It's where you'll inject resin into the arteries of an animal's heart and the resin will set and then we corrode away the remainder of the tissue so you're left with almost this little 3D X-ray of what all the arteries look like inside that heart and that's been incredibly fascinating. And as cool as having a collection of curiosities in your home might sound for some, Natalie now believes that the art form can be used for other important purposes. Initially, I think I liked the nature of it being kitsch. But then as the years have gone by and I've had opportunities to work in museums or with some of the world's best taxidermists around the world, I now realise the education value in it how important the revival of natural history collections are because they're very lacking in Australia and also how important creating a safe space is for people who do have an interest in animals and science and things that might might be perceived to be macabre to the general public. The Northcote Loft felt a lot like a museum. In many ways it was one. There were mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, creatures of all shapes and sizes. You could see the insides of some animals, their anatomical details on full display. There was even a duck wearing goggles. I was fascinated by the fine details of the craft and Natalie was happy to be my tour guide. So this is a Rottweiler skull that we're working on uh, as part of pet preservation for one of our clients. Um, the rest of the remains were cremated and so what we've done is we've gone through a process of removing all the tissue from the skull and we do that via a process called maceration where basically uh, it's just a water solution and the bacteria will eat the tissue away and we also have over here some rats that we're doing for a client So you can see that these ones are wet-preserved. What is that? So we've got all kinds of things here. So we've got some lizards here. Maybe just uh, one more thing. Uh, We've got the the whole tool kit up the top here. Yes. Could you maybe just, uh, I guess, run through a little bit of of what all these different things do and, and how it kind of works? Actually, none of these are really (laughs) taxidermy related. These are more our power tools for more so making bases and what have you. But this little guy over here, you can see some roosters that we've been making that will mount. So these will be for sale. But this guy here, this is a wire fleshing wheel. So what we'll do is after we've removed the skin of, say, the rooster, we'll turn this fleshing uh, wheel on and 
it will rotate, you know, I, I don't even know how many times a minute, but you can feel it's really sharp. And what it will do is it will just strip all the fat and excess oils and things like that off of the skin because we have to remove all of that to preserve it. Um, As Natalie walked so me through her treasures, I noticed she stayed cool and collected, even when talking about the more grisly side of her work. Her approach to death was nuanced, and she didn't shy away from the realities of it. The etymology of taxidermy literally means the arrangement of skin, so it would be hard and maybe a little foolish to try avoiding talking about what actually goes on, getting elbow deep in dead stuff. I'm someone who often doesn't know what to say to a friend when they've lost someone close to them, or even when their pet has died. So it was refreshing to see Natalie has made it part of her mission to improve people's relationships with topics surrounding death, and I think she's well-placed to do that. It wasn't until I started to get a lot of pushback on social media, a number of death threats, that I realised that people really have quite a large reaction to the preservation of specimens. And what was really interesting to me is a lot of the threats and a lot of the, I guess, angry dialogue coming my way, it wasn't from vegans and vegetarians as people would assume. In fact, a lot of my students are vegans and vegetarians. It was actually coming from people who live in metropolitan cities who eat meat. And that was very interesting to me because it has taught me over time that, one, there's a disconnect with what we're consuming and and where that meat actually comes from. And two, in Western society, in general, we don't have a very good format or open dialogue around death itself. And so when you combine those two topics, it becomes something quite controversial for people. And I think that that's what's been the most interesting element of launching this company and why it has started to diversify in the way that it has and why it's taught me to also take those topics seriously and to move away from the kitchen, the cute, and try and find a much stronger voice and create a safer environment for people to explore those topics. What do you think those those attitudes are amongst people in Western society? I think culturally and perhaps even religiously, we just don't have some of the sense of ceremony and community that I've witnessed other cultures have. A lot of cultures have a format to life, like a rites of passage from people going from childhood to adulthood, Um, a sense of ceremony, celebration and understanding of what your community does at the time that someone passes away and a format in which they can navigate that. And often I've witnessed here and I've experienced it myself lately um, because I've had a lot of friends, parents or siblings pass away recently. You don't even know what to say to your best friend if their father passes away. And I don't think that that's an individual's fault It's just as a broader community, we don't have a culture that supports that narrative or those ceremonies in the ways that other cultures do. I think people feel unsafe 
because they're frightened and they don't know how to navigate it. And it's so easy these days to get behind a keyboard and persecute ideas or topics that you're frightened of. Natalie introduced me to a world I hardly knew existed. I don't know if I'll ever feel the same way about taxidermy as she does, but it goes to show that if you're interested in something, anything, there's probably a community out there that you can join in. And if there's not, you can just make one yourself. As part of this audio project, I've chatted with some of the most creative, driven, and passionate people in Melbourne. People who love their jobs and find a strong sense of meaning in the work they do, even when it's not necessarily the safe or popular decision. Natalie was no different. At some point, you have to take a look at your life and figure out what is your passion and what do you really want to do with yourself. And what I really want to do with myself is continue down this path because it's opened up a world of opportunities for me that I never in a million years would have imagined would have been available to someone coming from a corporate sector who hasn't you know, studied at a university or tertiary level, anything really. I've been fortunate enough to work on projects where we've been digging up dinosaurs and I've been fortunate enough to live with small communities and be part of rituals where human bodies are being taken out of coffins and redressed. Just things that you would never, that never would have been available to me had I've stayed with my nine to five corporate job. You're glad you made that decision? My bank account's not, <laughs> but I am. Thanks for listening. Do Quit Your Day Job is created by me, Lee Robinson. This podcast is produced for Sin and made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Creative Victoria. A special thanks to Oli Krusek for checking over my work and to the countless others who have provided support to me along the way. <laughs>